God, why? Why do you allow bad things to happen to good people? Why do you allow evil, greedy people to prosper? Why do you allow people who work hard and do the right things get fired and yet others who lack integrity seem to get promotions? Why does the the drunk driver live and the family he just hit die? See, there there just seems to be so much injustice in our world, but yet you say you're a God of justice and God, to be honest, I just don't always see it. And I don't know about you, have you ever struggled with that? I mean, I know I have, and I'm left asking the question, God, why? And if I'm being totally honest, in those moments of crying out for injustice, I I really think I could probably do a better job of being judged than God. And of course, I would never say that out loud, but that's kind of what I'm feeling in my heart when I go through all those questions. God, if you could just give me the gavel and if you could just put on the robe for me and just give me that authority, I, I think I could hand down the appropriate judgment. So God, why don't you? But see, then on the flip side, how many of you have ever felt judged by people? See, probably all of us and, and we, we don't like it. In fact, we'll even say things like, well, who made you judge or, or don't judge me? And, and see, none of us like to be judged by others. However, every single day, we're forced to make judgments about situations and even people. I mean, should we wear a mask when we go out? Do you judge people that don't wear masks? Or do you judge those who are wearing a mask? Should we open up the church? And when do we do it? And some of you might judge me because we haven't opened up yet. And then others are going to judge me for not being responsible when we do open up. And I mean, we make judgments as parents, don't we? I mean, should I allow my kids to hang out with those kids who seem to always be getting in trouble all the time? Do I feel safe being around that person? Should I forgive the person who hurt me? And every day we sit in a seat of judge. And we try to make the best judgments possible. But sometimes those judgments will come from our fears, our insecurities and our pride, or some of those judgments actually might come from some wisdom. Come on, you know this as parents, we, we see this a lot. When, when you make a judgment about your kid's curfew or, or what they can watch or, or maybe even your kid's friends and your kids think you're so unfair. And as a parent, there is no amount of convincing them that, that you could give that, that would change their minds in that moment. And you could tell them that you're doing it for their good, but they are so convinced that they know better than you. They think that they can do a better job of making judgments than you do. And come on, we do the exact same thing with God, don't we? When God doesn't step in, and make a judgment that goes in our direction. We struggle understanding or struggle trusting God's judgment. We struggle to trust God's goodness and we're left asking the question, God, why? Why, God? have to die 
daughter or a son So sudden and so young Long before their time And why, God Do people fall apart A promise and a ring Becomes a broken thing A road that got too hard And why, God Do we feel so alone Every single day Fighting through the pain Hoping there is hope I don't understand But I understand It's why, God, I need you It's why, God, I run to your arms Over and over again It's why struggle with this is because we have this, this innate sense of justice. And the reason why is because we've been created in the image of God, and so we get our sense of justice from God, which, which is good. But because we're sinful, broken images of God, our sense of justice is then corrupted. And so then our perspective is skewed. So when things don't turn out the way that we think they should or, or things seem maybe a little bit more hard, or a little harder or, or more painful for you, then we're all tempted to question God's ability to accurately judge. And we see this imagery of God being judged, probably the most prevalent 
in the Old Testament. And to be honest, when most people look at the Old Testament, it looks like God has some like anger issues, that he was a little harsh or maybe even mean. And then and then we go to the New Testament and Jesus seems to just be nice, right? It's like it's like as as parents, and at least for me in the early years, I was probably a whole lot more strict and impatient. But as I got older, we have four kids and now I have two grandkids. I mean, I'm way more relaxed and probably a lot more fun. And, you know, at that point you're going, oh, whatever, you know, play with whatever, you have more sugar, right? I mean, it's just, and it seems to be like, is that true about God? I mean, did God get tired over the years? Is God the bad cop and Jesus the good cop? I mean, is that the way this is? But let me ask you, if Jesus were to sit down with you right now and ask you the question that we've been asking, who do you say that I am? What would you say? Jesus is, and you have to fill in the blank. In fact, as you're even thinking about what you'd fill in, I, I wanna share a, a pretty strange story with you from the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter 13. God's directing a prophet to pronounce judgment on King Jeroboam. He was a very sinful leader who was perverting the Israelite culture with idols. In fact, it was so bad and so corrupt that God had to find a prophet from a whole nother region to come to rebuke this king for what was going on. And so this prophet shows up and he prophesies about the birth of a new king named Josiah, who was going to be a righteous and just leader. And he also then pronounces judgment on the corrupt sacrificial altar, declaring that God is going to split this in two. Well, as you can imagine, this naturally irked King Jeroboam. And so he tells his goons to, to, to arrest this guy, to, to take care of this prophet. But as he extends his arm to point to the prophet, his hand withers and the altar splits in two. And so all of a sudden now King Jeroboam with his new shriveled up kind of T-Rex hand changes gears and now he begs the prophet to ask God for healing and in, and in an act of grace the man of God the, the prophet obliges and God restores Jeroboam's hand and Jeroboam is now so happy that he invites the prophet back to his place to reward him but the prophet refuses because God has given him very specific instructions on what to do and what not to do. The prophet couldn't eat or drink anything. He said, he's, in, in, in fact, he said, even if you were going to give me up to half of your kingdom, I can't take it because of what the Lord has commanded me. You've seen what's happened to your, to your hand, right? God means business. And then the, the prophet leaves. Well, well, what happens is word gets out, goes among to town that this man of God, the prophet, what he did for the king. And so this boy goes home and he tells his dad who is actually an old prophet. And the old prophet, turns out he's a false prophet, gets on a donkey and goes after the other prophet and finds him under a tree. And he says, wow, you look tired. Why don't you come back with me and grab something to eat? And so the prophet tells the older prophet, he says, I can't, I can't eat or I can't drink because the Lord has told me so. And the old prophet says, well, I am too a prophet. And an angel told me that everything's good now. Your mission's complete. You can go now eat as much brisket and ribs, or you can, you can go to Chewy's and have chicka chicka boom boom and jalapeno ranch dip. And obviously I'm hungry. Uh, but anyway, he goes back to his, to, says, come back with me and you can eat as much as you want. 
And so the man of God assumes, just like we probably would if we were in his shoes, that this old prophet is telling him the truth. And so he goes with them and he chows down. And even though he was told that he could do this, he thought by God, while he's eating, the word of the Lord through the old false prophet, the guy that lied to him says, you didn't obey God. And because of that, you're going to die. And so the prophet leaves the old prophet's house and God sends a lion and it tears him from limb to limb and leaves this bloody mess in the road. And the guy dies. End of story. Good night, kids, right? I mean, you're just going, what kind of story is that? You're thinking, hold on a second, that's awful. What kind of bedtime story would that ever be? What kind of God would do that? This poor prophet did exactly what God had asked him to do until he was tricked by a lying prophet. And then instead of being understanding and punishing the prophet that lies, you have a lion come down, maul the guy to death. How is that fair? How is that in any way loving God? How is that in any way gracious or merciful? Come on, here is where you and I struggle so much with God. We love the characteristics of grace and love and mercy and kindness and forgiveness and patience, but we really struggle with the fact that God is also a God of wrath. And because God is perfect and holy and righteous, he demands justice. And since we're disobedient and sinful and corrupt and rebellious, our sin has to be punished. A holy God will not allow sin to go unpunished. And if we're brutally honest, we love that God punishes evil people or mean people that have hurt us. We just don't like the fact that God also punishes us for our little tiny sins as well. See, you're probably asking, hey, you're talking about God, but how does this relate to Jesus? Because isn't Jesus the good cop and God the Father kind of like the bad cop? And unfortunately, that's how a lot of people view God and Jesus, and that's just not accurate. The truth of the matter is, Jesus is the human form of God. And God has given Jesus all judgment responsibilities. Listen to this in John chapter five. It says, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. The father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. So whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. So listen, God has placed Jesus as judge over us. And I want to take the rest of our time to help you understand what does that, what does that look like? So here's the first thing. Jesus, the judge, brings discipline. He brings discipline. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 32 says, but when we are judged by the Lord, talking about Jesus, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Now listen carefully to me. People who have placed their faith in Jesus, in other words, followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, are not going to go to hell. And so the judgment that Jesus brings on us as believers is a form of discipline in order to bring about repentance. See, Jesus' discipline should prompt us to turn away from where we're going and begin to follow the way that Jesus is going. And what's interesting to me is how Jesus and the Holy Spirit work together 
for your good and for my good. See, Jesus provides the discipline, but the Holy Spirit is the one who provides the conviction, which it should be great news for some of you because now you don't need to see it as your job to convict people of their sin, right? So if you lean towards judgmental and critical attitudes towards others, it's probably because you think you can do a better job than God. And so you, since you can't, stop. Now you can take all that time, all that energy that you've been using to be judgmental and critical, and now you can use it to leverage it for being loving and forgiving of others. See, my job as your pastor isn't to convict you. My job's to love you, to serve you, to teach you God's word, and then the Holy Spirit's job is to bring about the conviction. And when we ignore the conviction and make sinful choices and rebel against the Lord, Jesus responds out of his love by judging our hearts and actions with discipline, just like any good parent would do with a child that they love. See, Hebrews 12 says, and if you have forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children, he said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Verse nine, it says, since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. See, Jesus' judgment on us is an act of discipline, which is an act of love, and it's meant to make us more like Jesus, which as a disciple of Jesus is the whole goal. So Jesus the judge brings discipline. The second thing is Jesus the judge brings justice. He brings justice. And I know for some of you, because you have such a huge need for justice, you love, actually love this about Jesus. But see, for others, because of what maybe you've gone through and maybe the pain that you've experienced, you're starting to wonder if Jesus really does bring justice. Because we live in this world of injustice, of unfairness, abuse of power and corruption in government, unfortunately in churches and families. And evil seems to prevail and it certainly seems to profit. And so you're saying, where's the justice? And I actually, I love what David says in Psalm 37. He says, turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. See, that's an incredible promise for, for, for those who are, have suffered, who are still presently suffering. For those of you who maybe have gone through some very traumatic childhoods or have experienced oppressive or abusive relationships, maybe, maybe you've experienced the power already of forgiving those who have sinned against you like we talked last week, which is 
awesome. But just know that God still promises that evil will be punished and justice will still be done. And if it's not punished while we're still here living on this earth, you can be guaranteed that it will be punished on the other side of eternity. Don't make don't mistake the, the prosperity of evildoers on this side of eternity as getting away with it. I'm just telling you, God says that's not going to happen. But maybe, maybe your question goes a little bit deeper. Because as you look at the news and the world around you, you see people dying from this virus or from cancer or people killing each other. We see it in schools and churches and movie theaters. You, you still see or maybe even feel the racial ignorance or injustice. Uh, you, 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 we hear about the millions of babies being aborted. There's rape, there's incest, there's abuse, there's terrorist attacks. And you wanna know, okay, Jesus, like not only do I wanna know why, but if you are all knowing and all powerful, how could you just sit by and watch? As a father who loves his children, I could never sit by and just watch my children be abused or raped or tortured or, or, and do nothing about it. How can you? I mean, seriously, where is the justice? I'm just gonna tell you, there aren't any easy emotional answers because we're not God, nor can we fully comprehend the wisdom of God or why he does or doesn't do things. But I can tell you this, I still can fully trust him. Because here's what I do know. God, Jesus, is love, which means that God has to give us free choice. And by doing that, it means that we can freely choose to do good or evil to people. I mean, we, we like that God gives us freedom to choose. We just don't like that he gives really bad, evil, people the same freedom to choose. And see, our expectation is that Jesus is going to rush in every single time and, and, and stop all that bad stuff before it happens. And I'm just telling you, it doesn't work that way. And so in those moments, we need to be reminded that Jesus will have justice. And it might not look the way you think it should or the timing that you think it should, but he says he will have justice. Scripture tells us that Jesus, the judge, is sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven, storing up wrath for the unrepented perpetrators of evil. He will pour out his wrath on them in righteous fury and holy vengeance at the end. So I'm just telling you, you can be rest assured that evil absolutely will be punished. And another thing to remember is that, yes, this life is full of hurting broken, stepped on, stepped over, abused, victimized, and marginalized people. But I just want you to listen to what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely 
on my account. I want you to listen. Here's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are you that go through all this hurtful, unjust stuff because in my kingdom, justice will be delivered. I want you to understand this third and last thing, that Jesus the judge takes the punishment. He takes it. He takes the punishment for you. See, the scripture tells us that there's a day of judgment that is coming. You say, well, why? Because God's holy and he's perfect and we're not. We're all sinners and sin has to be punished. The book of Hebrews tells us that there's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood, blood that must be shed in order to make things right between us and God. And, and maybe, I don't know, you might be thinking that that seems a little extreme for you know, your, your little sins. And I just, it, it, it's one thing, you know, you, you, again, when we think about this, it's one thing for a murderer, right? Or somebody that abuses people but it doesn't seem fair to put my little sin in the same category as their big sins. And I just, I just wanna say something real quick. First of all, if you struggle with that, it's because you've minimized your own sin and you've overestimated your own personal goodness. And you're also comparing yourself to others instead of comparing yourself to a perfect holy God. See, Romans tells us that we all fall short of God, which means we sin. The other thing I wanna say is if you're someone who is always concerned about things needing to be fair and you question whether God is fair, I wanna say this as gently but as firmly as possible. You do not want a fair God. See, the fair thing would be for God to destroy every single one of us because of our sin, yet, that's the very point and the definition of grace. It's God not giving us what we deserve. We deserve punishment for our sin. We deserve to not have Jesus. We deserve eternal death. We deserve to be separated from God forever. And if you even go back to the word conviction that we looked at earlier, it's this legal term that says you have been convicted of a crime. And so Jesus because he's perfect and he's holy and he's our judge, says that every single one of us has been convicted guilty of our crime of sin. And the punishment is death and eternal separation from God. Just, just look at what Paul says in Romans 2. He says, but because you are stubborn and refuse to turn away from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. I'll drop down to verse eight. He says, but he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth. And instead they live lives of wickedness. So Paul says that those who don't obey and they choose sin, you're storing up terrible punishment 
for yourself that will result in righteous, justified, wrathful judgment from Jesus. And then Jesus, the judge who isn't concerned about fairness, but is 100% graciously just says, I will take your place and the punishment of your death. I will declare you guilty as judge. And then I'm gonna turn around and take the full wrath and punishment for you. Listen to what Paul says in Romans five. He says, but God shows his love for us that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified or made right or vindicated by Jesus' blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Do you hear that? Listen to me. God is saying to you and to me, you deserve my full wrath because of your sin. But because of that, I have to convict you as guilty and your payment is eternal death and separation from me. But because I love you, despite all of your sin, Jesus says, I will take on the full wrath and fury on myself for you. Now, come on, be honest. How many of you right now are saying, well, that's not fair. Jesus shouldn't do that. I'll take the full fury and wrath of God. Now, come on, be honest. Do you want God to be fair right now? Of course not. All we want in that moment is, God, I want your grace. I want your mercy. I want your forgiveness. Jesus, please show your full mercy. And we want, and then we struggle to extend it to others who have hurt us. And Jesus says, that's why you aren't the judge. I am. Now, don't miss this. God is not letting sin slide. He's not letting sin off the hook. He didn't change the rules or lessen the punishment. Blood and death must be shed. But the blessing is we have a savior named Jesus who took all of that on himself. Jesus took the punishment and he shed his blood, his life for you. Do you understand what Jesus saved you from? Not just sin, but from the penalty of sin, which is the full wrath of God. Jesus also saved you from the power of sin so that you no longer need to be a slave to it any longer. You don't need to be a slave to sin. Listen to 1 John chapter 2. It says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. In other words, Jesus atoned or paid for our sins. And not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now check this out. Jesus is not only our judge, he's also our advocate. He's our defense lawyer, if you will, advocating on our behalf so that when there is an accusation brought up against you because of your sin, Jesus says, overruled. You say, how? By my blood. It's been done for you. You're no longer guilty. You're no longer condemned. Romans 8, 1 says, there's no more condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. We've been set free. Isn't that amazing? I love the fact that in Jesus, we have a holy, righteous, and pure judge who will always do the right thing. And because of his incredible love, mercy, and grace, he also made himself the payment for our sins. He handed down the conviction of guilty. He handed out the penalty of eternal death and separation. And then he got off his throne, 
went down to earth, took the chains of your sin, took the full wrath and fury of your sin, and then was crucified on the cross to pay for your debt and my debt in full. Why? All because he loves you and he loves me. That's the kind of judge, the kind of God that I serve. So if you ask me, who is Jesus? Jesus is my judge and advocate. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the fact that you are just. And Lord, there's, there's lots of things in this world that seem incredibly unjust and incredibly unfair. But Lord, I can come back and I can be rest assured that you will always take care of those things. Whether it happens in my lifetime or not, you promise it, you guarantee it. And so I have to, in, those, in these moments when things seem not right, I've got to choose to trust you. And Lord, there's times in my own life where you, you bring discipline. And, and to be honest, I don't like it. I don't want that. But I also know as a father, I know the most loving thing I can do is bring correction in order to help steer my kids in the right direction. Because I don't want them going down a road that I know is going to lead to all kinds of self-destruction. And Lord, you do the same with us. So I'm so thankful that you lovingly discipline us because you want to bring us back. You want us to repent. You want us to follow you, not our own flesh and sinful natures. And God, I'm just amazed of how you can sit on the throne of judge, declare the penalty of death, and then come down off your throne and take my payment on my behalf. While I'm still sinning, you died for me. God, thank you. I, I, there's no words I can possibly use to express gratitude for your unbelievable, gracious, kind gift and sacrifice of yourself. And if you're listening to this or watching this, maybe today your image and understanding of who Jesus is and what he did for you has changed and you now realize that you want a personal relationship. This is, this is the Jesus you wanna follow. So right there, whether you're in your living room or listening to this, wherever you might be, you just, you just tell the Lord, God, I know that you loved me so much that my sin separated me from you, but you still saw through that in order to love me in spite of me. And you sent your son down to this earth, came off the throne, down to this world, took on flesh, became a man, and then eventually went to the cross because in order to reconcile me back to you in relationship, it demanded the shedding of blood, perfect blood, the Lamb of God. And so it took Jesus to make that payment. And then three days later, he rose from the dead to validate and prove that he really is who he says he is, the Son of God. Lord, I'm putting today, you tell God, I'm today, I am putting my trust and my faith in Jesus alone for my salvation. Come into my life and save me. And scripture tells us that when we make that decision, 
to choose to follow and trust Jesus, that he saves us, that our eternal destination has just changed. But Lord, that as we go about our lives and we go about our days, that Lord, that we would choose to obey you and follow you, not only as judge, but as advocate for us. We love you so much in Jesus' name, amen.
Wasn't that powerful? If you prayed that prayer today with Pastor Bob, we want to know about it. We would love to give you some practical next steps. And to do that, all you have to do is simply fill out our connection card on the website and one of our pastors will reach out to you this week. SciLife Church, we miss you, we love you, and we will see you next week.